Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing all right. Um, I'm, uh, supporting, uh, humane causes by still not being a subscriber of Disney plus. Sure. <laughs> um, sure. Uh, I, I wanted to, to talk about the, um, the 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 controversy controversies plural that have have sprung up around the movie uh, Mulan and not I'm not talking about the thirty dollar price tag Tyler. Um, <laughs> I really appreciate that uh, delivery. That was that was great. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I know you have a lot going on in your life right now. I'm not sure how closely you've you've followed this, but there are a couple of there there are uh, uh, boycotts of the movie Mulan. Uh, all over the world for a couple of different reasons. The first one started when one of the actors appear, uh, actresses who appears in the movie um, was found to have tweeted some support during the, during the uh, Hong Kong protests, some support for the uh, police, not for the protesters, for the police who, who um, uh, uh, behaved, uh, very similarly to the way police in America do uh, around protesters. Um, but when it's in a foreign country, uh, more peop- more of our government at least is willing to say it's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and then along the same lines, um, uh, you know, the same week we're hearing stories about uh, forced or coerced hysterectomies being carried out on, on, on on Latinx uh, women in our our own American concentration camps, um, Mulan came under fire for filming in and then specifically in the credits thanking the authorities uh, in the province where uh, the uh, uh, Uyghur um, concentration camps uh, are. Um, and again, that's something you've got Ted Cruz coming out against that. This is something that our our government leaders are quick to condemn in other countries and quick to change the subject about uh, mm-hmm. uh in 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 our country you'd think we didn't currently have concentration camps in america which we do um but uh um i don't know what are uh, uh had you followed these mulan uh controversies i'd heard i'd heard about the the uh the camp one and the the idea of of thanking them um which yeah i mean it's it's tough because i know that disney has been courting china for a long time i mean disney is maybe the most overt like i know that they got uh well yeah i realize they all yeah we the studios studios yeah um but yeah, uh, like I remember um, on the on Disney Plus, there's a there's a, a series called Imagineering that is about the various Disney parks and and the creativity behind them. And and uh, the one in uh, in China, like it was, they just kept pushing for it, and and finally they were able to do it, and it was like a big deal. And frankly, it looks like they did a lot of really interesting stuff there. Um, but as a result, like I actually, what was it? I. I was reading an article that like back in 1998 or something like that, when Disney distributed uh, Kundun, uh, like uh, China, the, like China, the Chinese government got really angry about that. And Michael Eisner at the time, like publicly apologized for distributing Kundun saying that it was like 
a mistake and like a dumb thing that Disney did. And, um, and so like, it's like, so wait, like I, I recognize that you, that this is a market and that, you know, people are people, but at the same time, like you're apologizing to a, a, a government that's pretty rough and, uh, Granted, I guess they're not portrayed particularly well in uh, in Kundun, but then how could they be? Um, and so it does. Fe- it definitely feels like Disney just is really willing to look the other way on a lot of things. And you know, I'm still I'm still curious to see. Putting all this aside, I'm still curious to see the film because more than any of these other like Disney like live action remakes, this one actually seems the like the one that is at, that's sort of taking the concept and doing something different with it as opposed to just trying to make a complete you know a lot just a total live action adaptation like the songs aren't there like the funny dragon isn't there at least not that i'm aware of uh and it just looks like a big epic action movie which definitely intrigues me um and that's the other thing is uh, i read an article that like the film's not doing particularly well in china either um and so it's like man so you i i feel like after a certain point disney should just be like you know what we got our park built there i think we've done everything we can let's go elsewhere and then we don't have to uh in the credits thank this uh situation over here well, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it, it does seem like a very poorly uh, thought through um, um, uh, plan to, to like they're saying, it, clearly the Disney and other studios are saying like, uh, oh, there's a lot of money to be made in, in this market and global distribution. We need to keep these people in mind, um, keep this population in mind. But it's not as simple as that. Once you expand to other people, you've got other uh, um, uh, considerations to, to take. It, it, it's not just let's have some Chinese content. You have right. to think about uh, the politics over there, what the politics over there mean here. Yeah. Um, and something like that it reminds me of, um, uh, um, it's a very different sort of uh, uh, motivation, but you know, in the, in the cold war years, especially in like the, the, the fifties, there was the, the, the idea of the good neighbor program. There's a lot of uh, uh, America wanted right. to reach out to um, uh, Latin America, basically um, because we wanted to be a good neighbor, basically because we didn't want communism to get a stronghold. Right. So, so close uh, to us. And this is why we have celebrities like Carmen Miranda from this, this, this period. Yeah. Is that it was a part of that. But um, I, I, I know this because I took uh, a, I took a class on war propaganda back in, in film school and, um, and some of this is a, again, this is not, uh, this is a different way of stepping in it than Milan did, but, uh, some of the depictions of life in Latin American countries were oh, sure. so condescending. Um, uh, uh, it, it's just, uh, it's, it's, there's a, just because there's a market there doesn't mean you uh, are ready to adapt to it without doing any research at all is the, is, yeah. is the, the common, the common thread here. Um, I don't and, know that I will. I, I, I wasn't, like I said, I'm not a Disney plus subscriber. I wasn't really planning on watching the Mulan remake. Um, uh, anyway, if they had, if I had been one of the critics who had been invited to see it back in March, <laughs> um, uh, um, maybe I would have seen it to review it, but I had, I had no, I have no real intention of watching Mulan. Um, so this doesn't 
that doesn't mean much, but I will say that I am even less likely now to watch it because sure. of, because of these things. And it's a shame because Nikki Caro is the, is the director and yeah, I like that, that really, that got my attention maybe more than anything. Um, Did you does, see McFarland USA? No, I didn't. So good. I know. I've heard that. It's um, so good. I did think just from just knowing what Mulan was, that's like, Oh, it feels like an oversight to not get Zhang Yimou. Like it doesn't it feel like I mean he is he's actually of the country that this takes place in, uh, and he's certainly not uh, not a stranger to making this kind of epic filmmaking and making it as as visually dynamic as possible. Um, well, I mean, it might have been maybe they didn't reach out to Zhang Yimou because of the box office failure of The Great Wall. That's true. Yeah, yeah. A movie that I liked, by the way. I know. And I saw it as well. And, and it's, it has a lot of the stuff that I like about Zhang Yimou and then a story that's not that dynamic, but um, anyway. Uh, yeah. It's, I feel like this, I kind of feel like this is just what's, what's going, what, I feel like we can expect more of this sort of thing uh, in the future because like, as I don't think it's a bad thing to try to court an international audience, but like you said, uh, you can't simply, and this is, it's interesting. This is actually something that came out of that Imagineering documentary is they would take sort of just Disneyland and just put it somewhere else without bringing, without taking into consideration, like the cultural aspects of that society realizing like, yeah, okay, you can't, you can't take the haunted mansion and put it in China because like culturally they are not very interested in discussing ghosts, you know? And so you saw, so you see them like completely reimagine what the haunted mansion could be, but, and, and so, to such an extent that it's hard to know if it's even officially haunted. Uh, but yeah, so I do feel like if a studio is going to try to court any audience like they, they need to maybe do a better job of taking a number of things into consideration. Um, and uh, yeah, so, but I'll let you, I, I'll probably be seeing uh, Mulan soon because the person, the, the people whose Disney plus account we use uh, apparently just paid for it oh. and uh, just texted us like an hour ago saying, Hey, we paid for this. If you want to watch I'm like, yeah, maybe, you know, but uh but yeah, so um, anyway, that's, that's all I've got. Uh, well, um, what I've got for you is a recommendation, and that's uh, tweakedaudio.com, which is what I recommend for professional quality earbuds and a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day. I'm using them right now. But I also use them today to listen to another new song from Tim Heidecker. I know I highlighted a new, a new Tim Heidecker okay. track um a while back and this is a, uh, this one's called property it's a similar thing where it's a funny kind of song but also very sad at the same time mm -hmm. uh the premise of the song property is that in 100 years there will be no graveyards left because people won't be able to resist developing that land into <laughs> into property um anyway uh sounded great on my tweakedaudio.com earbuds that are available at a low low price at tweakedaudio.com but if you use the offer code pretension at checkout you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges so please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with bite clear aligners 
Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Tyler? Yes. Let's get into it, shall we? Okay. What did you want to talk about? Uh, I don't know exactly where this came from, but, uh, and I'm sure, and I, I'm sure that we've talked around this uh, in the past, undoubtedly, but I was thinking about uh, movies in which your main character is unsympathetic. That's, that's not to say, that's not to stop it unlikable. There are plenty of movies with unlikable main characters, but you still sympathize with what they are trying to do. Um, so this is now granted the, the two overlap quite a bit. Um, yeah, I would say I had some difficulty with this because so much of it, I think is subjective in a lot of ways. Of course. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I have characters on my list that I think maybe I was supposed to find sympathetic that I didn't. Sure. But then I also left out some, I, I, I don't know how you'll feel. I'll, I'll get it started with it with an example. Okay. I don't know how you feel about put, putting something like, the talented Mr. Ripley slash purple moon, whichever version you want to talk about on there, because you know, this guy's a murderer, Mm -hmm. but uh, especially in more so in the talented Mr. Ripley than than purple moon, there is a lot of sympathy built for him. I think there is. I I didn't know whether to, whether would you have included that on your list? I did not. I thought about it, but I did not include it because it's, it's tough. It, there are movies in which you are, completely unsympathetic to what a character is doing and and yet you you just wish they would stop because you like them or you're sympathetic to them and you just wish they would stop doing all these things that you're not sympathetic to right and tom ripley in that is is one of them like he's likable and there's an insecurity to him that is in its own way relatable now obviously the way that it manifests itself is horrendous and yet underneath it all, uh, I'm, I'm still kind of there, you know, in, in it's a different type of thing. But like when you look at a character like Magneto, um, hey, he's perfectly willing to kill uh, millions of people, if not billions. And it's like, well, I'm not on board with that, but I see where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did actively right, like, like, I uh, certainly Killmonger. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Who I've, who the, I mean, I was put in mind of, of Magneto immediately. Like once he started like saying sort of his philosophy. Um, so I, I do have, don't get me wrong. I do have a lot of murderers on my list here. Um, but ones that it's like, me too. I just, I just can't, <laughs> sounds so weird. I can't, kinda, can't get on board with them. Um, yeah. But, but you know what? That's the other thing is, a, a director's choice to have this be our protagonist is something that is intriguing and sometimes infuriating because if you spend enough time with someone, it almost forces you to at least 
maybe not empathize with them, but it forces you to sympathize with them simply because they're the only one whose perspective you're getting. And so there are right. some on here that some people might say, no, I find them kind of sympathetic. And there are some people on here that I don't want to get caught, even though I don't like them, I don't sympathize with them and I hate what they're doing. Um, and so that I think speaks to the inherently empathetic nature of film is that if we're presented with a character and they're our main character and we don't really have anybody else to cling to, I, I guess we just, we tend to just kind of go along with them for the most part. Um, yeah. Even if after the fact we, we condemn them and ourselves uh, for that fact. Well, you remind me, I, I, I didn't put these on my list, but uh, the fact that I mentioned Tim Heidecker during the tweaked ad read uh, sure. reminded me of the comedy and and entertainment both movies um by um that director whose name i'm drawing a complete blank on right now well i can't think I can't of his play, name. i can't place it either immediately that's weird oh man that's gonna drive me crazy uh he also made the mountain oh yeah. man anyway um yeah they are not uh, neither of those characters uh, in the comedy or entertainment are are good people and we're not i don't think supposed to be on on board with them but we do spend enough time with them that we start to see like yeah what you know what they're going through and be like oh that sucks at least you know i i I get it this guy's daughter won't call him back or whatever yeah um, i do feel like if a character even if they still continue to make terrible choices i do wonder if there's even a slight element of introspection or if you get the sense that they don't like themselves just as much as you don't like them, I think that immediately makes them a little bit more sympathetic. Okay. Uh, Rick Alverson is his name, by the way. Rick um, Alverson, that's right. Well, that reminded me of a movie that I didn't know whether to put on because I don't know how, like, how strict you are, be, you are about the term protagonist. Sure. Um, but uh, it, in The Departed, I think we very much sympathize with Leonardo DiCaprio's character, mm. Matt Damon's character is harder to sympathize with. And yet by the end, you do kind of like, again, sympathize isn't the right word, but you spend enough time that you like, that you do see the ways in which I think he does hate himself. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, I think that's a, I think that's a very good performance, but I don't know if it counts as a protagonist. I don't know if you, uh, uh, I would say so to the, list. to the degree that, um, that movie has any leads it is the two of them um but uh, but it's definitely more of an ensemble but yeah no it's that that's one of the things like with his character as i've been saying since the beginning like i think that's actually quite quite ballsy of him to take that role because mm-hmm. you look at Deca- at uh, sorry like jack jack nicholson and he's like a fun kind of character that you hate right. you know whereas like just today uh, with my class, I was talking about um, Harry Potter and the order of the Phoenix. And like, certainly we hate Voldemort, but you get to Umbridge and we hate Umbridge because there's something about someone who puts themselves out there as one thing, but in actuality, they're this other thing. And like, they're the characters we love to hate. And then there's the characters we just hate. And I think Matt Damon is a character because he's weaselly and rat like, and he's be, because he's dishonest. Uh, we, we genuinely yeah, that's hate the him. Thing about, uh, at least you know where you stand with Voldemort. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, exactly. Um, he's not that considerate of, of your feelings. He's not, uh, he's not a people pleaser that Voldemort. Um, so I'll say this, my, 
if someone if someone said like uh hey who uh name a movie with a, a, a an unsympathetic unsympathetic protagonist my number one the one i always say is raging bull um it's okay. it's the first place my mind goes it is a movie that i've watched twice i don't like it even though i respect it quite a bit i realize what martin scorsese is doing and i appreciate it but i hate spending time with this man and i am no more sympathetic uh, towards him at the end of the film than i am at the beginning in fact maybe even more even less um and just being forced to spend time with him and his family like i'm angry at the movie and i know the movie itself is not wanting me to be on his side but boy like that movie is hard for me to watch um and by the way there is there's a fair amount of scorsese on here uh, on my list here yeah yeah i definitely um included the wolf of wall street uh on on my list but weirdly um or not weirdly uh the movie that I, the first thing I think of when I thought of, when I thought of the unsympathetic protagonist is Henry portrait of a serial killer. That's up there. But, um, I almost want to put a pin in that because right now I feel like what we're talking about are movies that are the, 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 uh, the protagonist is unsympathetic in a, in a challenging way, a way that's made, made to sort of make you think about yourself. Not movies, sure. a movie like Henry, the portrait of a serial killer is a movie that is, that is like sort of, uh, bold and, and, um, what's what I'm looking for? Uh, um, confrontational uh, sure. about its character. Like it's not, uh, you're not supposed to be like, Oh, I'm starting to warm up to Henry. Like it's a movie that says, I dare you to watch this guy for 95 minutes or whatever. Yeah. Um, and there's a number of those that are, that are, that are um, interesting to, uh, to, to talk about. But so I don't, I don't want to get too far into, into Henry right now. I want to talk about some other uh, movies that make you sort of, rethink your own values based on sure. on the character so a couple um a couple that come to mind um one is uh match point which is also a movie about a murderer um yep. like a lot of these um i don't have that much difficulty not liking uh the character because i've never been a big jonathan reese myers fan right but still um uh, and he doesn't give you a lot to latch on to as a character and the actor which I actually like he's, do very, respect he's, about he's very cold uh, which I respect by that performance. I don't love yeah. all those other performances. Um, I mean, I like him in Velvet Goldmine and, and, and I mm-hmm. guess this, but um, um, I still feel like, I mean, Ma- match point is not a bad movie, but I, when, when I, the one time I watched it, I was like, crimes and misdemeanors was better. And they had jokes yeah. in it. <laughs> like this is yeah. the, this is crimes and misdemeanors without any jokes in it. Uh, and I think it, and crimes and misdemeanors makes you more uncomfortable because I find Martin Landau to be much more sympathetic, even when I don't want to, but I find him much more sympathetic than Jonathan Reese Myers. Uh, but the other one that I think is a very challenging movie in a, in a lot of ways, because the characters start sympathetic. It, it's sort of like, this is the, the precursor to the breaking bad sort of formula of like, how long will you stick with the character as they become sure. a bad person? And that's the Godfather. I, I have Godfather Part Two on here, yeah. Um, yeah, by that point he's he's pretty unsympathetic. But yeah. uh, the Godfather is a challenging experience because you he's he's the he's the one who's not part of this this business. He's the one who yeah. uh, uh, I could certainly relate to as um, uh, you know a a sort of uh, 
nerdier kid. Like he's the college sure. kid. He's the one who has uh, interests that are bookish or or not. You know, uh, he's not Sonny, the the hothead who just seemed like every jock to me. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I was filtering this to my own, obviously my own teenage experience or probably pre you know preteen experience uh, when when I saw the movie, but. Um, uh, yeah, by the end, you've, uh, I don't know about everyone, probably actually knowing people, a lot of people didn't have this experience, but by the by the very end of the movie, I'm sympathizing, I'm seeing the movie more through Kay's eyes than, sure. through, than through Michael's. Um, and that's a very, that's a slow transition that I think um, was, I don't know, I know you and I have talked about, like, so many people like The Godfather 2 better, and I I understand why, but I like the Godfather. Uh, it's a movie that everyone understands, like just assume, uh, knows is so great that it only feels trite to talk about like yeah. how great the Godfather is. But I do think in terms of what we're talking about and an unsympathetic protagonist, seeing the Godfather at the fairly young age that I did was probably pretty eye opening for me, pretty formative sure. for a movie to end with uh, me kind of not quite, maybe not, maybe almost hating, but at least like being put being scared by this guy that, you know, two hours and 10 minutes before or whatever, uh, I'd been, uh, on, on his, on his side. Um, yeah. Seeing that at 12 or 13, uh, probably shaped my taste in movies a little bit. I think because his story in the first film, uh, is tragic. I think there is sympathy in tragedy because a lot of what he does is in response to something. Whereas by the time you get to the second one, cause like once you're in charge, you can't be responding to things. You need to start things, you know, you need to initiate things. Right. Which is why when you get to the second one, you know, he's, he's no longer, I mean, he's not really an innocent by the end of the first one, but you realize like he, it's like, he didn't want to be in charge and then, you know, and then Sonny dies and then this happens and this happens. And, and he, I think he's doing what he feels like is necessary, but he would still prefer not to. And then you get to the second one and just, to me, that's, it's one of the things that I love about the Godfather is that like about both films is that they, they would seem they're about people who say like, Hey, family is the most important thing. And what they're really saying is like, they're using family as an extension of themselves, which is like the people that are important to me, they're the most important thing. And then the second one comes along. It's like, but what happens when those people bother you? And then in the end, it's like, Fredo's gone. Kay's been completely cut out of things. Like by the end, he he's condensed into what a gangster act actually is which is completely and totally self-focused um and he can't and he and neither can we like they can't uh try to justify this anymore you know this whole thing of you don't go against the family meanwhile he spent two movies or one movie going against the family in some cases in response in some cases not but in the end like you know there's that argument he has with Kay in the second film where he says like you won't take my children and it's like well they're her children too and you know you live in a world where people are getting shot all the time and your, your kids almost died. So maybe you can't be quite so possessive, but that's the thing is he doesn't give a shit that they're their children. He only cares that they're his children. Mm -hmm. And so I think like by the end of the first one, I'm mourning the loss of who he could be. And then uh, in the second one, I'm lamenting who he now is. 
And so I definitely consider him full on unsympathetic in the, in the second film. Um, but, uh, okay. So let's see here. I'm trying to think, yeah, uh, a few others, cause admittedly most of these involve some level of murder. So I'm going to try and hold off on murder, murder. Okay. Well, I want to, I want to focus on ones where it's, there is a challenge, like you almost want to sympathize. Okay. Um, and I, I feel like uh, a big one for me on this is vertigo, a movie where like, uh, you know, all the facts on paper, this guy's a jerk, you know, yeah. and I, and I, and you know, and that's a, that's an understatement, but when you spend the time with him and you understand what he's, his, his loss and, and his, uh, no. hangups and stuff like that, you're, um, you, you want to sympathize with him. Oh, absolutely. And I think a lot of movies at that time, like on my list is double indemnity, you know, like oh, sure. Wal- Walter Neff is not sympathetic and yet somehow like especially when you've got keys there when you've got edward g robinson like he's a supporting character but i'm on board with him i like him a lot and yet i still don't want walter to get caught and like why why don't i want him to get caught he killed someone the idea was like the plan was his maybe not the initial idea but the plan was his and i'm infinitely more on board with the guy trying to catch him yeah so why don't i want him caught (laughs) <laughs> like the, Billy Wilder is great at that sort of thing. I think getting us to, to connect with people that we really yeah. have no reason to. Well, I guess, I mean, that's kind of part of the, the, the noir recipe, you know, the, yeah. the every man or, or in a couple of cases, every woman who, who um, gets in over their head and you're, you know, uh, you're rooting for them to, to get away with it, even though you know that, uh, what they've done is wrong. And also, you know, yeah. because it's a Hayes code movie that they won't get away with it. Yeah. Um, they will uh, either be arrested or probably get shot and killed. Um, but like, uh, like the, uh, where the sidewalk the is, is another one that has like, sure. uh, has like a whole, like, you know, Oh, he's, hi- he's hiding the body in the, in the, in the trunk and, and the trains passing by. Is someone going to see him on the train? It's like, I, he's a murderer. I want someone to see him, but, yeah. uh, but no, I'm on on his side at the time. Yeah. That's part of the perversity of film noir is that, you know, they're not going to get away with it. And, and the, the idea of justice being served is no comfort. <laughs> It's yeah. you're just like, Oh man. Um, it, like, which I guess is the fatalism. Um, yeah. So let's see here. I mean, it's, let's see here. Yeah. So like even stuff like, I mean, Hitchcock was good at this in general, like rope. Oh, sure. Like yeah, every, yeah. Every time the body almost gets discovered. I mean, granted it's almost comical, but I, it, I, I don't, like either of these guys at yeah. all and yet part of me is like oh no oh no yeah. someone's gonna discover their body it's like good that's that's as it should be yeah why, why are you doing this to me alfred hitchcock same with um, nightcrawler same with nightcrawler actually that's another one uh with oh, uh, right. jake yeah. Hall, where at so, there are so many lo- especially towards the end like when a cop actually is like questioning him he's brought in and like I'm not on board with him at all. Like I I've, I've shown nightcrawler to some of my classes and my students talk about how uncomfortable it is to like, to be on board with this guy. Cause he's not giving you much to latch onto as a person. He's a full on sociopath. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he's, his is the only perspective we're allowed to see. And so it's like, well, I guess I don't want to get caught. So, uh, so I don't want him to get caught. Um, 
the the sort of the opposite of the godfather thing of seeing someone start sympathetic and become unsympathetic and i won't go too much into detail because i know that you a somehow still haven't seen this movie and b somehow have not been spoiled for it but uh old boy uh is is a movie in which the character is introduced as such an obnoxious drunk piece of shit he's a terrible father he's a terrible uh husband terrible friend like uh he he you know is too self-absorbed and shallow to realize uh the effect he has on other people and you're like god someone should uh you know teach this guy a lesson and then someone teaches him a lesson and it's it's so completely ruins and upends his life that by the end of the movie you're on his side even though you still recognize that like he did something to earn this maybe it went a little overboard but sure. you know he uh, uh you, you kind of have to uh you have that emotional response to to the person and then you have your uh pragmatic response uh, uh at the same time but uh yeah i won't say much more because again you somehow have not been spoiled for old boy yeah uh, i really like you really should I'm, just watch it i know i'm you know what it was is for a long time and this is this isn't the case but like when i went to watch it a few years ago on netflix like they only had like the dubbed version and oh. so i was wait so i was waiting for them to not have that and then and now they don't and so i really should because i'm 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 courting danger here. Like I'm, I'm taking it for granted at some point, someone's going to spoil this for me. Um, and I have no one to blame my, but myself for, uh, taking so long to watch it. Yeah. It looks like, uh, hmm. looking at justwatch.com, It looks like it might not be on Netflix anymore, but it is on oh, okay. shutter. Do you still have a shutter I account? Yeah. yeah. So it's on shutter. Um, so looking at this, like there are certainly characters that I'm, I mean, <sighs> I don't like being on board with Travis Bickle and I'm not fully on board with Travis Bickle. And yet what he does at the end, there is a type of nobility to it. He may not be doing it for any noble reason at all, but it's hard not to get pulled into that. Like he, he does exist. He's an ugly person existing in an ugly world. And for whatever reason makes it a little bit seemingly a little bit less ugly through very ugly means. Like it's like I've used the word ugly like six times now, Yeah. but what choice do I have? Yeah. Yeah. I, I toyed with whether or not to put a uh, text driver on my list. I think ultimately I am a little bit too sympathetic to, uh, to, to Travis Pickle, but didn't stop me from, like I said, putting the Wolf of Wall Street on my list. Yeah. Um, because I do like how that movie is intentionally, I think challenging you. It's not at any point, denying that the life that Jordan Belfort leaves leads is a ton of fun for him. He's having so much fun all of the time. Um, and also I think another part of a thing that I, I can't remember if I put this in my review back in 2013, 14, 13, 13. Um, but, uh, there's a really smart, but also a, again a really challenging um audience challenging thing that that martin scorsese does is that once Belf- jordan belford gets to a certain point you the audience member just like he does you no longer see any regular people yeah <laughs> the, the world takes place it's entirely in his world it's entirely among his friend group until that sort of epilogue where you see these schlubs get off the bus at this at, that's the first at that point that's the first time in two and a half hours you've seen a regular joe of any sort and that's such a that was such a jarring experience for me during the epilogue when when you know uh you see these 
to be frank, these losers, <laughs> at least that's how Jordan probably sees <laughs> sure. them, even though he uh, doesn't say that out loud because he's taking their money. Um, you, you see these people go off the bus and I was like, oh, it's a, uh, like that's a regular person. And it was like such yeah. a shock to me at the time because uh, the, you know, the movie's so long. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah. And I, I, I uh, obviously I understand a lot of people had problems with the Wolf of Wall Street at the time um, because of issues with cinematic illiteracy. I think that you and sure. I have talked about um, uh, while you're depicting this thing, you must be endorsing it. Um uh, but I, I, I feel like if you, I feel like a lot of, uh, a lot of that kind of criticism could be alleviated. if People could just learn to not go into movies, assuming they are smarter than the movie, hmm. give the movie some credit and you'll get more out of it. Do you know what I mean? Well, and I think, yeah, like, I think there's this feeling of like people go to movies. I say people, uh, some people, maybe a lot of people go to movies wanting to be affirmed in what they think and believe, but they, but they, they also have a very limited, limited idea of what affirmation means and what it looks like. You know, I genuinely think that most of the people who have, who take issue with uh, Wolf of Wall Street, uh, I think Martin Scorsese agrees with them and, and the frustration that they have with Jordan Belfort. Um, but in their mind, it's like the only way that you could ever agree with me through a film is to paint this guy and his life as completely unglamorous and, and right. disgusting. And it's like, yeah, but that's, but now I'm not being true to the character. Like, it is a bit of a, it's, it's a tightrope where he has to depict Jordan's life in such a way that you understand why he would want to live it, but yeah. still have you as a person be like, I, I see why this could transform someone into a monster. Um, um, you're reminding me of a line from, I'm thinking of ending things, the, the new movie where a character describes a land pay, a landscape painting as sad. And David Thews's character says, says, how am I know? How am I supposed to know a painting is sad if there's not a person in it looking sad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's you know, um, and then uh, it's interesting actually. Uh, a movie that is uh, that's not on my list, but should be because when I did my more than one lesson episode about uh, the Wolf of Wall Street, the companion film was Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh. Um, I I don't find those characters sympathetic really at all. They're funny and goofy, but by the end, I mean, it's just like, certainly, um, Dr. Gonzo, like by the time he's threatening Ellen Barkin with a knife, yeah. uh, and she's yeah. just a waitress at a diner. Like, it's like, Oh boy, this is rough stuff. Like I'm not really on board with anything these guys are doing. Yeah. I, uh, well that see I'm torn because that gives me a segue into their, um, movie but let's again put a pin in that sure um because i want to talk about so much my entire list is made up of titles of movies except for one entry in my list which is just john cassavetes <laughs> i have titles and literally at the bottom any john cassavetes film <laughs> that's literally that's great oh my gosh yeah that's, well this is this is why we do a podcast together absolutely oh that's exciting <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, the 
his his movies are about uh, often about people who are so desperately trying to be fun or have a good time um uh, and it's often so pathetic or uncomfortable you think of like all the forced laughter and faces yeah. or husbands or you think about uh um owen under the influence um uh, and just like the sadness underneath a seemingly good time kind of club and uh killing of a chinese oh bookie. yeah 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 yeah. Uh, yeah it's all so rough i love them i love these movies so much and yet boy but it's funny you know uh i've talked about how you know there are some movies that you see once and you think that's a great movie i hope i'd never watch it again mm-hmm. um and usually henry portrait of a serial killer is my sort of go-to example although i have seen it twice um but uh weirdly faces is another one i've seen faces one time and it's a great movie but it made me so sad sure <laughs> um that i don't know that I, I have never been able to bring myself to watch uh to watch faces uh, again Oddly enough, uh, faces I've seen a, a couple of, actually, I think three or four times. Um, that's one that I, I don't have a hard time returning to. Same with Killing the Chinese Bookie, Woman Under the Influence. Husbands is the one that I have a real hard time with. Yeah, like, that I've also is, only seen that one once, but yeah. Yeah, I, I don't feel much of a, I mean, I, I think but, uh, I saw Real quick, that, uh, Killing of a Chinese Bookie is uh, catnip for me because it's an LA movie. So I, sure. I can watch Killing of a Chinese Bookie anytime because I love, I love seeing, I mean, I know, I, I know I lived in St. Louis or the St. Louis area longer, but I've been an adult sure. in Los Angeles longer than I've been an adult in any other place. And so I know the place better. And so the idea of seeing a place that I've been, but 40 years ago is holds so much fascination uh, <laughs> for me. So like when his car breaks down, which I think is the, the uh, one one like uh, off of like when you, uh, cause he goes, he goes North over the Hill from West Hollywood yeah, into yeah. the Valley. So I think he like maybe gets on the one one at Laurel, you know, by the mm-hmm. uh, um, like the, well, no, the cold one, no cold water. Over the hills. Anyway, um, so uh, when his car breaks down, I, I'm just thinking about like how often I've been on that freeway and like, oh, that would suck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, man, now I, it's weird. Like immediately I was like, man, I just want to watch all these movies. Why? Why do yeah. I want to watch them again? Um, and uh, speaking of LA movies filled with unsympathetic characters, Shortcuts is oh, yeah. pretty tough. Uh, those are not characters that I enjoy spending time with. There may be one or two, but overall, um, the uns- yeah. I'd say uh, from a percentage standpoint, I'd say like a good 90% of the characters I do not enjoy spending time with. There yeah. might be some that I'm, I'm a little bit sympathetic with, but not very many. For the most part, I'm like, I have no problem if this earthquake, if this earthquake kills all these people. You know what? Yeah. I think we're good. Um, and I think part of my, what I, what I like about so many of these movies is that even when the character is unsympathetic, there's a humanism on the part of the filmmaker. I think sure. part of my problem with a lot of Altman with some major exceptions, but with a lot of Altman is that I feel like he's kind of misanthropic. And so I, I, I have trouble with things like shortcuts and to some extent, uh, Nashville, um, and mash is a big one for me sure. because I feel like he doesn't even like these people. Whereas if you look at something, you look at someone like the Safdie brothers with like good time mm-hmm. and uncut gems, it's like, yeah, these are not 
he's not good guys you know uh the way that our repentance's character behaves in good time has a lot of ill effects on a lot of people yeah but i think the safety brothers have a natural human humanism to them that you 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 want to see uh, uh you want to give him some of the benefit of the doubt or you want to uh at least understand from his point of view he's just trying to help his brother or whatever sure. and i feel like with, with shortcuts there's there's very little of that for me. I still think the filmmaking is, is, is terrific. Yeah. And I think the, the, you know, I've, I've watched it within the last five years uh, and I thought that it would like great on me being as long as it is, but I, it never feels, it, it, it never, shortcuts never upsets me to the way that it makes it that mash does, but I still have a little bit of a hollow feeling uh, when I watch it. I would agree with that in regards to shortcuts. And I think, I mean, Nashville obviously, obviously is a movie I love. Um, and I do feel like you look at Nashville and you look at shortcuts and you see a director who has gotten older and has a darker view of humanity. Um, because, yeah, shortcuts, there is a cynicism to it, but there is still a lot of room for sympathy, like with. Lily Tomlin's character and uh, Keen Wynn's character. Like there, there are a lot of characters there who, even when they make bad decisions, I, I feel bad for them for making them. And I just wish that they would do the right thing. Um, you know, and, and certainly like there's the, the young woman who uh, is a terrible singer. And then she's in a position of, of like, having to strip in front of all these guys. Mm -hmm. Now on one hand certainly doesn't make the guys look very good, but I'm with her a hundred percent, you know? Right. So I feel, and I feel like that's something you don't find in shortcuts. I think whatever, whatever humanity was there is just wrung out by the time uh, you get to shortcuts. Yeah. Um, but then there, this is running. It, it, would, it would come back a little bit with stuff like Oscar Park and Prairie Home companion but for the most part yeah shortcuts yeah. Is, is rough stuff prairie home companion i think is a very humanistic uh mm -hmm. movie and and uh i feel like it's uh I, i'm always so cautious using terms like underrated and overrated because i feel like we're so niche all the yeah. everyone's in their own niche that i don't maybe i always have a good finger on the pulse of what a movie so i feel like prairie home companion was underrated at the time but it, it does seem like people are starting to realize that it's, uh, uh, if not top tier Altman, it's up there. Now, let uh, me ask you this. Uh, how are you, how are you defining underrated in this moment? Uh, I, I guess in terms of Altman's career is how I'm, how I'm defining. Okay. I don't know what the reviews were like at, at the time. I don't remember. We weren't, what year is prayer opinion? Nine. Oh, it's that old. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we weren't even doing the podcast yet, much less right. writing reviews. Um, so, uh, yeah, I don't know about that, but, uh, think, how do you think, define? Well, because I think there are two ways to define underrated. There's, it was not rated highly enough or it was not rated enough. Um, oh, which okay, is, yeah. which is to say like, it's not being, it's not talked about enough. You know, it could be that there are movies that anybody who sees it likes it, but nobody's nobody sees it. And nobody has talked about it. And I feel like yeah. Prairie home companion. I feel like both could apply. Um, it's, I mean, given that it was his last movie, you'd think people would talk more about it, but they don't. I really, when people talk about Altman, they don't talk about that one, oddly. Yeah. Um, but that brings me to a movie uh, in which the misanthropy, is that how you pronounce that? 
I think in which so, yeah. The misanthropy is the point, and it's part of what's so enjoyable uh, enjoyable about the movie, and that's burn after reading. Sure, absolutely. Um, and arguably other Coen Brothers movies uh, uh, as well, but none of their movies seem quite so nihilistic uh, as, as burn after reading, uh, in that. which um, nothing that anyone does matters. Everyone is uh, an idiot, and uh, it's a miracle that more people don't end up dead because of how, <laughs> how stupid and selfish everyone acts. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, I mean, there's even, there's even a, a nod to it at the end with JK Simmons being like, all right, well, what did we learn? Let's never do it again. I don't know what the fuck we did. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah so, who, is it uh, uh, David Rash? Is that the actor who's, who's the actor who's they had that exchange with? Uh, I don't actually remember. I know, I know who David Rash is, but I haven't seen the film in a long time. Oh, okay. Um, anyway, yeah, great scene. So, uh, okay. As far as, okay, I, I do feel like in movies where your protagonist is unsympathetic, there probably is a certain misanthropy to the film in general. Um, I don't know if I'd say that's 100% true, but I think sure. it is often true. So when you get to Mike Lee's Naked, uh, I oh, feel why like... Why I put that on my list? Yeah. Oh boy, that is near the top for me. I don't know how I didn't put the list because I, A, I used my Blu-ray collection as reference, so I have mm -hmm. it on Blu-ray, and B, I've watched Naked within the past like two years. I don't know why I didn't think of it. I think you just love the character. I think you're just totally on board with everything he does and says. Um, but uh, yeah, that's one where, um, yeah, I mean, I consider Mike Lee to be one of the most humanistic directors, uh, which is why it's so intriguing to me that he made this movie. Um, and I think it just speaks to, it, I feel like it's almost him trying to use the cinematic form to, un to try to understand people that he does not understand. Um, and in doing so forces us to spend time with this character who is, man, I mean, it's a wonderful performance and it's, it's a great movie. And yet it is tough sledding that movie because that character, I can't really on, get on board with anything. The one thing that I see is wasted potential that like someone this articulate and this smart, imagine if he used that for something else instead of just the nothing and terrible things that he's doing. That's the, that's the closest I get to sympathy is acknowledging he has potential as a person that is completely wasted. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm thinking of other movies now um, that have aggressively unsympathetic lead characters. Did you ever see, um, uh, and I, this character is so unsympathetic that I'm not sure that I'm half, off board with the movie, but John the Cadard's every man for himself from 1980. Mm -mm. Um, the, the character whose name is Paul Goddard and is a mm. filmmaker. So the, the, this is part of what's so, uh, off putting about the movie is that John the Cadard is not only creating an incredibly off putting character, but making him, uh, uh, an avatar himself. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, this guy's a total piece of shit to his, his wife. He openly just to get a rise out of people, uh, opines about the idea of having sex with his teenage daughter. Um, the, yeah, it's it's a very upsetting movie, but it's also Jean Luc Godard, whom I like, and I think it's a very uh, interesting movie to to watch. You can find my 
uh, here, here's it, uh, listeners. I challenge you to go back and find my review of the Criterion Blu-ray. Tell me whether or not I like the movie. <laughs> I, I can't quite decide. Um, uh, but that's one. Um, uh, I had another one on here. Uh, oh, uh, I mean, I have happiness down, but really Todd Salons is someone that I can put down in the sure. same way of John Cassavetes is like, um, uh, just, uh, the, it's, it's the same sort of, uh, I would like, just like challenging, like, uh, yes, all of these people are, uh, sad, terrible, uh, losers. Um, and, and even, yet, yeah. and yet I have sympathy for Dylan Baker in happiness. How is that even possible? He's, I mean, he is clearly suffering with what he, yeah, what his impulses are and eventually what he actually does. He's, yes. It's causing him torment. Yes. Uh, but the, yeah, I do think that there's a line and uh, there's a point at which, you know, when he actually acts on his impulses yeah. that I, uh, I'm, I'm never going to be able to forgive the guy, but right. yeah, like you're saying, I do understand that he's going through, pain like emotional turmoil because of it but uh, also nothing like what he inflicted on his son's friends exactly yes (laughs) although todd salons is such an asshole like when his son's friend when his dad loses it and just says like don't you realize what happened and then says what it is it's kind of funny yeah i'm like damn you Todd Saul. It's like, why are you making me laugh at this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you see wiener dog? No, I didn't. There's a, there's a, uh, I would call it almost like a visual gag where there's this just sort of probably like this, uh, just an entitled film student girl, um, wearing, and this is obviously before the recent protest, but this is post, um, uh, Eric Garner. She's wearing. She's just lounging around the like the lounge at the at the film school, wearing an "I Can't Breathe" t shirt, and the, without the Todd Solons having to like comment on it, what that says about the idea of activism as fashion and how how dismissive it is of this of this person and her entire ilk uh, is both very like bitterly funny and uh, tough to tough to take at the at the same time um boy oh boy that is that's quite a choice uh yeah uh, yeah and um uh yeah weeder dog was really great um uh but uh yeah i don't know i, I could talk about more todd Sullins movies yeah, yeah. Uh, all day i mean you've got uh did you ever see palindromes that's uh no um, i didn't i yeah, think the only one, one is this true i think the only one of his that i might have seen is happiness there's got there might be another one but i think that's Welcome the, to the one. dollhouse Oh yeah. Yeah. That's right. I saw that. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a couple of big ones I'm missing. I've never seen storytelling or dark horse or life during wartime. Um, but yeah, uh, he's made a lot more movies than you would expect to give in <laughs> happiness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, he keeps being allowed on set. That's weird. Um, so speaking of, of characters that are aggressively unsympathetic i mean obviously a clockwork orange is on there for me um i would also throw in i I don't think you've seen this film in a lonely place no i've never seen it where it is i mean it's rogue yeah yeah yeah. um and it's humphrey boger i mean you know i was talking earlier about matt damon making a very 
ballsy choice. That's the word I used. I don't like that I used it. Now I just used it again. I'll say bold. Uh, a very, uh, but brave doesn't sound assured. right. Assured. A very assured. Yeah. Um, I'll say risky. Let's say risky. Okay. Uh, you know, I said like Matt Damon took a risky choice with The Departed. I mean, Humphrey Bogart noted, you know, biggest movie star of the time playing just a just a horrible person I like that. In, in a lonely place. Like granted, he's a little bit, he's a little bit tortured, but by the end he becomes a full on monster. Um, it really, it's a, it's a marvelous movie. And that's one of my favorite performances because of how fully committed Bogart is. And he's, I mean, he's not, he wasn't opposed to that. You see him in stuff like treasure of the Sierra Madre or the Kane mutiny. He wasn't opposed to like tarnishing his image, but those, you know, he looks like, Elwood Dowd from Harvey compared to, uh, to in a lonely place. It's a, it's a marvelous film, but, and tough, it's tough to watch. Um, and then I would say pretty much everybody in the wild bunch. Um, Oh, that's, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. With a couple of exceptions here and there, like, man, if, 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 I mean, obviously the idea of the revisionist Western was not new with the wild bunch, but I think the wild bunch, uh, completed it. I, I think like there's no romanticism to the West in that film. And when you see like, yeah, the, 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 the Western heroes, they were probably a lot closer to these guys. Uh, and doesn't that make you feel good? So, oh man. But of course, uh, and of course we, it's worth noting, and I, maybe I should have saved this to the end. We love a lot of these movies. Like these are great movies, yeah. Uh, yeah, and that's and true. yet and yet they're so difficult to watch. Well, there. Uh, well, this brings me. To, I don't know if this is a whole other category, but a movie that I thought of that is not difficult to to watch. It's a ton of fun. This guy seems like a ton of fun to hang out with, but you still know that he's not a good person. And this is uh, Tom Jones. Sure, Tom yeah. Jones is a narcissist he's a solipsist he's a hedonist mm -hmm. uh seems like he's having a ton of fun and it probably would be if he were in the right mood it would be a ton of fun to hang out with him but uh he doesn't seem to care about much other than himself and having a good time in the moment i do think that charm goes a long way and right. that's a very charming performance yeah uh i don't think you quite realize the type of person he is until maybe m more than halfway through the film like oh wait I think Tom Jones might be a, a bad person. Yeah. Um, but it also, I mean, it doesn't hurt that he's also often surrounded by people who were more sure. overtly pieces of shit. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. Um, so uh, let's see, looking at this, um, probably wrap up, but uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I did. I did want to get back to the, the, um, uh, the, the idea of it's fun that this person is not a good person. Um, mm. American psycho. Uh, sure. that's a movie that gets a lot of, um, uh, joy out of, uh, uh, out of him. Um, uh, another one, I, I think, uh, hostile is a movie that is about the ugly American and it's part of the sick pleasure of the movie is like, yeah, it's, it's awful what happens to them, but it's also probably wish fulfillment for a lot of, uh, Europeans who live in tourist, <laughs> <laughs> tourist uh, destinations it's how i that's how i feel about uh, a movie on my list uh, the texas chainsaw massacre like granted we we are on board with sally at the end um but that's mostly simply because we she's the only one we're sympathetic to but like a lot of these other characters especially franklin which it's like 
you took this guy in a wheelchair and made him so annoying uh-huh. that when he eventually gets a chainsaw in the torso, we're like, ha ha, take that Franklin. <laughs> um, and, uh, I mean, I guess that it's something that you would find in a lot of like slasher movies of the eighties, but I feel like this one, because these characters are just so generally unlikable. But he, here's the thing that the Franklin character, because so many horror movies have the character who's such a piece of shit that you can't wait for them to die. But so mm-hmm. few of them do it well, I think. Sure. Uh, one great example, and it's funny now that it's America's dad, Dil, Phil Dunphy, but Ty Burrell <laughs> in the Dawn of the Dead remake. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like I spent so much of the movie being like, oh, I can't wait for this guy to get it. <laughs> And increasingly, uh, Jurassic Park has has been doing the, the Jurassic Park series has done that. Like, it quickly moved. Like in the last couple of movies, it's pretty much moved to like the only people that die are like deserving, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to like the first couple of movies where some very likable people die. Yeah. Um, but it's quickly turned into like a, a, a what is it? A, not an ultimatum. There's a word referendum a referendum on who these characters are oh, I see. Um, but they're never every, the, they're every, never the every every character who dies is a dennis nedry kind of yeah yeah or they're just annoying like the lawyer you know uh yeah. so one way or another they uh yeah we don't we get them out of there we don't like them um what the, what's the lawyer's character's name Gennaro. Gennaro. Yeah. yeah i've seen jurassic park many times i've seen the lost world once and that is the end of the list of Jurassic Park movies that I've seen. I think, I mean, there, there are elements, obviously, because I did that video essay, like there are elements to Jurassic World that I find infinitely fascinating. And that movie is more watchable than I'm comfortable admitting. Um, but yeah, I think you're fine. Um, should we, do we have any other categories to cover or do we want to just like read off the, the movies on our list that we didn't get to? Uh, I'm looking at... You know, there's one movie that I wanted to bring up where people say that this character is unsympathetic and I don't agree at all. And that is Inside Lewin Davis. Um, yeah, I don't see that. He may be. I mean, I guess if you kind of so many people have referred to him as like an asshole and I'm just like, what are you talking about? I mean, well, I mean he's he is not, the Carrie Mulligan. Sure. But she's also like, what is it? There's like he at one point they do have sex and i believe he did use protection and she still got pregnant and she's mad at him for that like it's not you know he's doing what he can um and uh it's it's like i mean i realize that i don't necessarily like him that much but i also feel like he's i I definitely sympathize with him throughout pretty much the entire film it's it really is interesting how many people um critics and otherwise have talked about not liking Lewin Davis and I don't see it at all. Yeah. Maybe cause we're, um, you know, sad guys who, uh, see too much of ourselves in him. That's probably true. Uh, but yeah, so let's, uh, let's, let's zip on down the line. What do you got? Uh, we didn't get to bad Santa. That's true. Um, uh, another one, um, I don't know. I, I didn't I hesitate to put because Leslie Vernon isn't really the protagonist of Behind the Mask, but still sure. Behind the Mask is uh, a movie about a killer. Yeah. Um, oh, another one where it's fun that the, that the character is kind of unsympathetic, but not hateful 
um, is Big Trouble in Little China, where <laughs> Kurt Russell's character is like he's kind of like the ugly American, just like uh, meathead uh, who just bounds in every situation, assuming that because he's the American male, he's going to to uh, be able to to solve it, and uh, for the most part, actually has very little positive effect on the proceedings. Yeah. Uh, Ex- except I, I at that. the end when he has yeah. the most positive effect, right. uh, and the reason that I. I wouldn't it's interesting i was actually talking with a friend about this movie just the other day and we were talking about that character and um he's actually very not he's not judgmental like at no point does he ever look at like the weird chinese stuff going on around him and be like this is strange or right. or he doesn't make fun of it like he's actually a surprisingly non-judgmental character he's very accepting. I like <laughs> yeah that. he is um <laughs> Uh, also going through movies in my Blu-ray collection, um, Joseph Losey's Boom, in which uh, Taylor plays a sort of uh, uh, drunken um, uh, uh, sort of Miss Havisham <laughs> type of. Sure. Um, uh, yeah, that's a that's a great uh, performance. Uh, Buffalo '66 or The Brown Bunny. Really, just I don't sure. like Vincent Gallo, and <laughs> yeah. he's very good at making himself unlikable uh in his movies is there anything else i mentioned good time uh oh, we didn't talk about the hateful eight which is literally it's right there in the title that's true yeah um and i guess yeah it's it's tough because the a lot of characters have moments of sympathy for me um and that's you know as opposed to something like the wild bunch where it's like all right i guess this is who we're stuck with but like, you know, Samuel L. Jackson, there, there are moments of it. And I'd say Kurt Russell as well. Like there are moments where I connect with them. Um, but yeah, it's. But I there's mean, also if, moments, every character also has moments that you disapprove of. Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, and then two more. One, um, it's not uh, uh, quite as upsetting as Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, but Shohei Imamura's Vengeance is Mine, which is uh, a movie that's based on a true story of a, of a, of a, multi, uh, a multiple murderer um, in, in Japan in the 70s, I, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, that's definitely a movie that it's hard to identify with this person who's going around murdering people. Uh, and then the last one I put on the list, which is just, this is just a judgment call. The movie clearly wants this person to be sympathetic, but I cannot get on board with Chris Pratt and Passengers. Sure. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay. So I've got peeping Tom. Oh yeah. That's being people to kill people. He's not a killer that we can get on board with. Certainly. Um, Daniel Plainview and there will be blood I think is oh, not very I do have that on my list. Yeah. Okay. I, I forgot to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, similarly, and I, I, I saw, oh, go ahead. Similarly, I'd throw Freddie Quell from, um, the master. I like, I, I was about to say, I sympathize with Freddie Quell. I don't like Freddie Quell any more than I liked, you know, yeah. plain view, but I sympathize with him more. You know what? I think I probably do as well. Now that I think about it, I don't, yeah, I don't like him very much, but I see underneath like how damaged he is. Um, yeah. And when that, the, the moment at the end dri- that drives him, the moment at the end when, when Philip Seymour Hoffman um, tells the story about them uh, being like sending messenger pigeons from the battlements yeah. of a castle in a past life. And like Freddie actually kind of sees through the bullshit for a, a, a yeah. minute is like, uh, 
it's a bit of a triumph for me. Like I'm, I'm so I'm yeah. happy for Freddie in that moment. Yeah. And, but the sad, and I guess in the end, like I'm also sad for him because when you see him like going back into his life, it's just like, ah, oh. like this might've been like, this might've been his only chance to kind of get recover some level of humanity. And the chance turned out to not be one at all. Cause it was a right. cult. Um, yeah. So I find him, I, I, I feel bad for the character. Um, uh, the character of Max Wren in Videodrome, the James Woods oh, yeah. character, I feel like is is pretty unsympathetic. Um, yeah, that is kind of that. Even mean, though like, I Videodrome is not a uh, uh, sorry if I'm cutting you off, Art. That's fine. Like because your audio was lagging a little bit, I'm not always entirely sure when mm-hmm. you're uh, talking when you're not. Um, but uh, yeah, Videodrome is not your standard horror movie, but there, it is the sort of horror movie like come up and type of yeah. uh, the moralizing horror movie. And I do think that, I mean, there are times when the stuff that he is witnessing is so outlandish and horrible that I feel like just he's horrified. And so are we. So I guess that's, that bonds us to him a little bit. Um, I'd say both versions of Scarface, um, whether it be Paul Muni or Al Pacino, I think neither of those, either Tony Camonte or Tony Montana, I don't think they're really sympathetic at all. The difference being that some people seem to think that Tony Montana is just the best and that he's somebody that uh, we should absolutely. Unfortunately. Uh, um, I was in just reading. Boldness. And I don't know if this is common knowledge, um, but I was just reading in a recent entertainment weekly, there was an excerpt from Oliver Stone's upcoming memoirs. Um, and they, the part they accepted was about, uh, the casting of, of, of Scarface and he wanted Glenn close for the Michelle Pfeiffer role, hmm. but he ended up, uh, he ended up as the screenwriter ended up because the producers were pushing Michelle Pfeiffer. He ended up rewriting the role because the original idea of the role was that she was a, like an upper East side, rich girl who was kind of like, as a as a lark, like slumming it with gangsters. Hmm. Um, and then he rewrote her as, uh, in his unfair word, a bimbo. <laughs> that's what he said. Uh, not a yeah. word that I like or that I use, but that's what he called. And also not really fair to Michelle Pfeiffer. She kind of played the other thing. Yeah. And, and admittedly, I think she also brings some humanity to her bimbo parts. Um, yeah. So Michelle Pfeiffer is great. Uh, We're agreed on I that mean, almost, on, on almost, battleship pretension that Michelle Pfeiffer yes. is, is fantastic. Yes. Uh, anytime she shows up in a movie, I'm, I at least know one part of the film will be yeah. very good. Um, I guess any adaptation of Macbeth, um, I put here, <laughs> I, I put throne of blood, but I'll incorporate Scotland PA and various other uh, adap- straight adaptations of Macbeth. Um, I guess Richard III too. Um, American Buffalo. I think uh, those two characters are, are not particularly sympathetic. Uh, and I guess you could probably say that about a lot of mammoth characters now that, now that yeah. I think about it. Yeah. Not pleasant um, to spend time with those two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's about all, that's about okay. all I've got. I think I've, I think I hit everything on my list. I'm sure there are some big ones that, uh, that we are, uh, 
that we're not hitting. But at the same time, again, like there are plenty of characters that I don't like and that, and whose, whose actions I would condemn, but I still find something in them to connect with. I mean, and maybe that's just me as, as people know, I feel a, a, a disturbing kinship with Richard Nixon, both the person and the way he's portrayed on screen. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, you watch Oliver Stone's Nixon or you watch uh, Robert Altman's secret honor and yeah, the character is often grotesque, but there is still like, there's clearly a, a self-loathing there as well. Um, so like he is aware of just how frustrating he is and he wishes he could be different. And I think there's something inherently sympathetic in that, even if you're not on board with what he's doing or, or what he's saying. All right. I think, I think we did it. Yeah, we, we nailed it. All of them. Uh, <laughs> you can find us at Battleship Retention dot com you can email us at david at battleshippretension.com or tyler at battleshippretension.com you can follow me david on twitter at davy pretension this week on the website you can read my reviews of the devil all the time and roger michelle's blackbird uh you can follow tyler on twitter at tyler pretension tyler what do you, mm-hmm. do you have anything to plug this week yeah at battleship pretension you can read my review of infidel and then over at more than one lesson you can read uh, you can listen to my episode about uh words on bathroom walls uh okay and we don't have a guest so thank you for listening we'll get you next time bye bye This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet.